Welcome to the New Life Podcast. Here we want you to experience the grace of God. So through this sermon, we hope to come alongside you as you grow in your relationship with Jesus. To learn more about New Life, please visit our website at newlifeonline.org. Here's today's message. We're continuing um, in the, the series that's been preached here the last few weeks uh, entitled Supporting Cast, where you're looking at different, uh, uh, maybe, I don't want to say minor characters, but people who show up in the scriptures uh, heroes of the faith, but they only have like a little cameo in the, in the, in the word, in the scriptures. And, um, and this morning we're going to look at uh, uh, man Ananias. Now in, in, the, in the New Testament there are actually two Ananiases. One of them was the guy who lied about offerings and uh, he got in trouble and the Lord killed him. We're not going to talk about him. That's not very encouraging, okay? But we are going to talk about the Ananias that had impact on, on Saul who later became Paul. All right, so uh, I don't have it on the screen. That's my fault. But if you have your Bibles with you or uh, um, if you want to turn to Acts chapter 9, Acts chapter 9, this is a familiar passage for a lot of you. Uh, It all relates the uh, conversion of Saul, who later became the Apostle Paul. So Acts chapter 9, starting at verse 1. I'll I'll read through the passage. It says this, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats, uh, threats to murder, (laughs) Uh, the, uh, the Lord's disciples. Saul is just basically out of control. He, he, there's such hatred in his heart uh, for Jesus, hatred for the people of, of Jesus, the people who are following him. Uh, he's almost out of control here. So it says that he went on to the uh, high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus. He's going to go international looking for people in the, in, uh, who are following Jesus because he wants to throw them in jail. He went to, uh, to, uh, so he could find any that would belong to the way, whether men or women, that he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. Okay? So as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And and Saul asked this question that, man, what a moment for him. Who are you, Lord? And the answer, I am Jesus whom you're persecuting. Now get up, go into the city and be told what you must do. So in this moment, Saul changes from somebody hating Jesus to now humbling himself before Jesus Christ and beginning to follow his instructions. Okay? So Saul got off the ground, uh, but when he opened his eyes, he could not see. He saw nothing. So they led him by hand into Damascus, and for three days he was blind, did not eat or drink anything. So this is Saul's situation, okay? Meanwhile, in Damascus, if you go uh, go to verse 10, in Damascus there was a disciple named Ananias, and the Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias, yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying, okay? And see, Ananias, you're going to be the answer to his prayers. Um, in a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. So Ananias says, Lord, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with the authority of the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. In other words, the guy we're trying to hide from, the guy I'm trying to avoid, 
the one who wants to throw me in prison and my family, you want me to go find him. Hmm? But the Lord said to Ananias, go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. Okay, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Now just sidebar here. He says, this man is my chosen instrument to go to the Gentiles, to their governments, their kings, and so on. And, and that had to uh, raise the eyebrows of Ananias because Saul, as he knew, was a Pharisee. And the Pharisees had nothing to do with the Gentiles. They avoided the Gentiles. The, the Pharisees were all about the people of Israel, the Jewish people. They, they despised the Gentiles. And here God is saying, Jesus is saying to him, he's going to be my apostle to the Gentiles. Now this is one of the reasons, sidebar here thing, this is one of the reasons you want to be careful when you take spiritual gifts tests and those tests that, that show you where your talents and your experiences and your gifts and your skills all lie so that you can find that place where you're most comfortable in serving, where you'll be most fruitful and effective. That's good. It's good to find a place where you're in a sweet spot and you do ministry, but that's not always the way of the Lord. I mean, Paul right here, it's like uh, Jesus comes to him and says, Paul, you would be amazing to the Jews because you know their traditions, you know their history, you know their, the people, you know all this, everything about Jewish culture inside and out. You would be an amazing apostle to the Jews. But we're not going to use you there. We're going to use you as an apostle to the Gentiles. And the reason is because there you'll have to learn how to trust in me. You'll have to look to me for everything. And for us to grow as disciples, I guarantee if you want to follow up to Jesus Christ, there's going to be times where the Spirit of God is going to prompt you to step into places and situations where you feel like you have no experience, no ability, you have nothing to call on on yourself, and you're called on then to just trust in the Holy Spirit, to follow His lead, to look to Him for the strength and the ability and the skills to carry out that ministry assignment. Okay, that's sidebar. You got that free. Okay, so... so um, Again, you know, uh, Ananias saying, how much, I've heard these reports about how much harm he's done to your holy people. And he's come here on the authority of the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. And then the Lord says to him, go, this is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. It is really striking at how important, how central the name of Jesus Christ is to the early church. Okay? Um, just in this short account, we have three times the name of Jesus being mentioned. God wants the name of Jesus proclaimed because in his name there's salvation, there's healing, and there's deliverance. There's changed lives. And Paul came to arrest anyone who called on the name. See, the evil one hates the name of Jesus. Jesus said in Luke 21, everyone will hate you because of my name. Okay? The NIV says everyone will hate you because of me, but the Greek is more precise. The Greek says, uh, on account of my name, they will hate you. Okay? Because the evil one hates the name of Jesus. Demons hate the name of Jesus. Satan hates his name because the name of Jesus is going to receive what, what Satan wanted. The praise of mankind. Philippians 2. At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Every mouth, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. 
So the evil one hates the name of Jesus. The world system he built hates the name of Jesus. Uh, two weeks ago, three weeks ago, uh, Harry and I were meeting with a, a, a friend. Uh, this person uh, loves the Lord and is serving in church and so on. However, about two or three years ago, we were in a ministry situation. This individual was there. And in the midst of the, of the, of the ministry, uh, this person fell to the floor and just manifested a demonic presence. Writhing on the floor, a voice coming out that, that was not the individual's voice, uh, eyes in the back of the head. You know, it's like, okay, we got something going on here. And so we gathered around some folks and, and we, uh, we delivered her in, in the name of Jesus. We delivered, uh, 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 delivered uh, uh, from the demons. And so now we're, we're meeting with this person like two or three weeks later, uh, two or three weeks ago, okay? And uh, we're talking about some different things, but then just started to ask about the experience you had. Okay, when, when that was happening, you know, when, when that deliverance was taking place, what was happening inside of you? What was going on there? And this individual said, you know, it's like I was gagged and I couldn't really speak, but I recognized there was like, I don't know, it's like entities or something moving within and, and I could feel what they were feeling. And, and they said that whenever the name of Jesus was invoked, you know, come out in Jesus' name, I could feel this panic inside, this, this uh, weakening of, of strength and grip upon me. And... Um, it's because of the power of the name of Jesus. We see all through the scriptures, the demons fear the name of Jesus. And we're the people who, as followers of Jesus Christ, we are given the privilege and honor of praying and ministering in that name. We have authority over the works of the evil one in that name. We should never be afraid of the demons. The demons are afraid of us because of the authority we have in Jesus' name. If you have an end times theology that has the church cowering because of the Antichrist, you need to correct your theology. The Antichrist is afraid of us because of the authority we have in Jesus Christ. Um, you know, and the Father wants the name of Jesus proclaimed. Jesus said, whatever you ask in my name, my Father will give you. Jesus said, uh, until now you've not asked for anything in my name, Ask in my name and you will receive that your joy may be, may be complete. God has given us this marvelous privilege of using his name. That's why it was so central to the early church. We see it mentioned three times right here. Um, you know, all of heaven worships that name. All of hell fears that name. And the Father says, I will do whatever you ask in Jesus' name. It's the source of miracles. When Peter and John were uh, walking to the temple and the lame man was laying there and he asked for money and, and Peter says, I don't have any money, but what I have I give you in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. Paul's walking through the streets of, I think, Philippi and uh, there's a, a, a gal who's demonized walking behind them, shouting things and he turns and says, in Jesus' name, come out of her. And she was delivered in that moment. And these miracles aren't occurring just by some generic name of some generic God. These are naming, these are happening because of the name of Jesus. There's salvation in his name alone. He didn't come to die on the cross just for the Western world, for our, you know, for the Western nations and the Eastern nations have their religion and we have our religions. No, he came to die for the sins of the, the entire world. God so loved the world that he gave his son. 
Jesus died for the sins of the world because every person needs a Savior because every person has a sin problem. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And while the world religions might teach us ethics and, and uh, good practices and so on, uh, our problem is, Jesus said, is a sin problem of which is in the heart. It's a heart problem. We need a new heart. And that's why Jesus said we must be born again. And if you've not experienced that, he's calling you this morning to open your heart, to receive a new heart, to have your sins forgiven. He's asking to come into your life today that you can experience the new birth. That's why he came. That's why he came. And there is power in his name. The Bible says that salvation is found in no one else. There's no other name under heaven by which we can be saved. And the prophets all say that, that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. It's the name of Jesus. And we've, the, you know, God's given us this privilege to pray that whatever we ask in his name will receive. Now, sometimes we have to persevere. That's why Jesus said in Luke 18.1, we should always pray and never give up. Okay? And sometimes there's resistance to our prayers, like Daniel in chapter 10 of Daniel, where he prayed, and for three weeks there was silence. He didn't get any answers to his prayers. And then suddenly this angel comes running into the room after three weeks and says, uh, your prayer was heard the moment you prayed it, but the answer is being held up because of the spiritual resistance. And I'm here now to give you the answer. Okay? So maybe there's spiritual resistance uh, against some of our prayers. Or maybe we'd have to persevere like Elijah. Elijah's praying for rain to come and he prays for uh, the rain to come during this drought. He sends a servant up to the hilltop to say, okay, go look and see if there's any clouds. There's no clouds. The servant comes back down. Elijah prays again. Back and forth, the servant's going because Elijah prays for rain. He goes up there. There's nothing there. The seventh time after he prays, the servant goes up and he says, I see a cloud about the size of a man's fist now. And Elijah's like, hallelujah, God answers prayer. Sometimes we have to persevere. But the name of Jesus will prevail. It will prevail. And some of you right now are in battles and situations. You're praying on behalf of people you love or situations that won't change. And I just tell you, proclaim the name of Jesus Christ over that situation. That in his name there's healing, there's breakthrough. At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow before the Lord. And every tongue will confess that he is Lord. Continue to pray that name. Okay, let's get back to, to uh, where I should be. <laughs> okay, so uh, we're still in Acts chapter 9. Uh, after Ananias has his interview with the Lord, it uh, says then, and, and I think verse 17, then Ananias went to the house and entered it. That was a gutsy move. A lot of courage in doing this, just getting up and going. Um, you know, think of what God's asking him to do. This is the guy who's having people murdered. This is the guy who's throwing people in prison. He's coming and then father, you know, he's just the guy you're trying to avoid. And the father says, no, I want you to go to him. And I can imagine, you know, if, if sometimes you feel like the Lord has spoken to you, even if it's really clear, but you get some distance, some time distance from that moment when you heard the voice of the Lord and you start to think, did I really hear the Lord? You know, and so, so I can imagine Ananias is, 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 you know, this is kind of flimsy reasoning for me to be here. I think I heard the Lord. That kind of thing could be going on. But he still obeys. And that's a trait in Ananias that we want to cultivate in ourselves. That obedience to the word of God. We listen for the word and then we obey that prompting. And we use the, you know, it, 
So oftentimes to obey involves courage and involves uh, uh, being bold and stepping out. And here's the deal, like Ananias, uh, he wasn't fearless, I don't believe, but he was not allowing his fear to dictate his life, okay? Um, uh, he was not reducing his life to accommodate his fears. But he stepped out in boldness and went forward. We have those promises. Uh, the Father says, fear not, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Time after time, God is calling for boldness, for courage. saying, I'll be with you. So often we'll say, Lord, if you'll be with me, I'll step out. But the Lord says, no, you step out and then I'll be with you. <laughs> you go first. <laughs> that's, that's basic Christian discipleship right there. So anyway, he goes in the room and it says, uh, placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord, Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you're coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fall from, from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up, was baptized, took some food, and regained his strength, and the rest is history going forward. But Ananias, you know, there's so many things about him here. Um, you know, the, just a trait of courage. But another thing here is that he was the answer to Saul's prayers. Ananias was the answer to Saul's prayers. In other words, when we pray, God starts to activate and move things. Paul's praying, Saul's praying, and God goes, Ananias, here's what I want you to do in response to those prayers. Um, uh, like I said before, we, have the, we, we do this ministry school, and, and about two, three months ago, um, we, had, we have teams of people that will go out into the streets and so on to minister. And what they'll do, they'll, they'll gather beforehand and they will uh, uh, pray. And they're, they're asking the Holy Spirit, Spirit of God, just, just show us maybe somewhere you want us to go or, or, or someone you want us to see. You know, and just, just kind of waiting on the Lord, seeing if he might give some impressions or, or some direction in some fashion. And about three months ago, there was a, a team of folks that were going to go out and and as they prayed, uh, one of them got this, this, this sense that they're supposed to go to a, a store. I, I, it's either in a Metro Center or the Northwoods Mall. They're supposed to go to a store. And then there's a, the sense that, that the Lord was going to orchestrate things so that room, that store, uh, there wouldn't be any other people there, just be one person there. And then someone else had the sense that this person uh, has been, uh, they're desperate. They, they have a need of some sort. And so they said, okay, well, let's, Let's, let's see if that was the Lord or not. And so they, they, they went uh, and they went right to that store and it was just what they, what they, the impression they had that there was no one else in the store. There was no distractions, no other people. Just one clerk was there. And so they go up to that, that clerk and they say, hey, we're just, um, we're learning how to pray for people. We go to the school and, and uh, is there anything we can pray for you about? And the person just melted and started bawling and crying and and, you know, so they're gathering around and comforting her and so on. And, and finally she, she says, I, I have been so lonely. and I've been so broken. I'm from another area. I'm here by myself. And all these different issues are going on in her life. And she said, just today I was crying out, God, do you even see me? Do you even know I'm here? And apparently he did because he sent the team to minister to her. God always hears our prayers. God always hears our prayers. And when you get a prompting to go do something, um, you know, whether we obey that or disobey that might mean whether or not someone's prayer is, is responded to in some fashion. 
but he's always, he's always answering our prayers. God's speaking a lot more to us than we realize, I think. So, okay, so, so we have this situation. Paul, Saul gets saved. He goes from hating Jesus to, to God's chosen instrument, you know, to serve the Lord. And there's something about Paul's story that just really touches us deeply, doesn't it? This whole transformation deal, when lives are turned around, there's something about that that just speaks to us. Um, you know, every good movie, every good novel, uh, fairy tales, they, they, so commonly they'll have that kind of theme in there. You have Pinocchio becoming a real boy. Um, you have the ugly duckling becoming a swan. You have Cinderella becoming a princess. This whole thing of transformation. You know, the, the, the cowardly lion getting his courage. It's something, there's something about that just touches us and, and speaks to us. Uh, Scrooge, you know, Stingy Scrooge becoming the most generous man in, in London. Uh, you have Aragorn becoming a, a, the king. You have hobbits becoming warriors. Uh, Luke becomes a Jedi. Simba becomes the Lion King. Rocky becomes the champion. It just goes on and on. Movies and novels that touch us uh, typically have some kind of transformation. Somebody who wasn't, you know, somebody that was far more to their life than initially uh, they see. And hope against hope, they rise to become something they always wanted to be. The reason why that stuff touches us, the reason that, that the, those transformations move us, because that is the heart of Christianity. And Christianity is the heart of mankind, that we must be born again. There's something more to us than we're actually experiencing. Um, and, and I think for everyone in this room, we, we have this sense that there's more to my life than what's visible. And my hope is that one day it will rise and come out. And I can become the person I've always dreamed about being. And that's not pride. It's not arrogance. But, but it's your identity because you're created in the image of God. And when you were born again, when, we, when you became a believer in Jesus Christ, you weren't just saved from your sins. The scripture says you were adopted as a son or a daughter of the living God. You're adopted by the living God. The most important question in life is who is God? But the second most important question in life is who does God say I am? Okay? J.I. Packer said that the gospel, in essence, is adoption through propitiation. Adoption through propitiation. This is what sets it across, apart from every other religion. Adoption through propitiation. And that, that, that refers to 1 John 4. In this is love, not that we first loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a propitiation for our sins or an atoning sacrifice for our sins, payment for our sins. That the cross paid for us and therefore uh, in that payment of paying for our sins, removing our sins, releasing forgiveness in our life, we are adopted as sons and daughters of the living God. We're not just saved, now we're adopted by the king of the universe. Okay? And that's the mystery of the gospel, that God wants to adopt you as his child. We're not born as children of God. The scriptures say that we're born as children of Adam and Eve. But the Bible says that as many as received Jesus, to them he gave the right to become children of God. We become children of God through faith in Jesus Christ. And that's the mystery of the gospel that we're adopted by him. Um, it says in Romans 8, 
Those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. The Spirit you receive brought, you, brought about your adoption to sonship. Adoption to sonship. Okay, when, when, and when the Bible says uh, sonship, ladies, that's not referring gender-wise. It's talking about a, a position of privilege, okay? So you're included in that sonship, all right? So just remember, us men, we're also the bride of Christ, so we all have to deal with language, all right? So that's, that's what's going on here. But it's a position of privilege. And by him we cry, Abba, Father, Papa, Father. Galatians 4, same thing. God sent his son to redeem those under the law. Why? That we might receive not just forgiveness of our sins, but that we might receive adoption to sonship. God wants to adopt us as his children. Jesus didn't die just so we can go to church on Sundays. He died to make us a new people, a new person. He died to change our status from orphan to, to child of God, son of God, daughter of God. He died to, to um, uh, change us from being lost to being found and at home in the kingdom, from slavery to royalty, uh, from poverty to riches. That's why he died, to take us from darkness into the kingdom of the beloved son. See, if someone came to you and said, look, you've just inherited $100 million, wouldn't that change your life? You know, the bills that used to, to bother you, now you, that's, they're nothing to you now. The problems you had, so many of them are covered now because of the, the inheritance and the resources that you have. And it talks about here that, that we are now heirs. Because we're adopted, we have this inheritance that all the resources of heaven are available to us. And there's two kinds of Christianity. One time, type of Christianity says, yes, we have all this inheritance, but it's in a trust fund, and so you don't get it until you die and go to heaven. So right now, you just make your way through life the best you can, and then when you go to heaven, everything will be released to you. That's one kind of Christianity. It says it's a trust fund. The other kind says, this inheritance is ours now that we can access it now. We can pull from that account now the authority, the resources that, that uh, God has made av available to us. And I think that's what the New Testament pr uh, promotes and, and says to us, that we are not just mere human beings now. We are royalty. The scriptures say that, that uh, uh, we're a royal priesthood. We're a holy nation. We're different people now. All of the religions say, come to us and, we'll find, and you'll find God. But Jesus says, I'm the God who came to find you, to adopt you, to make you uh, children of the living God, and to make us royalty. See, the larger truth is, uh, is, the truth is larger than just the fact we're forgiven. The truth is that we've been made sons and daughters of God, the king of the universe. And as sons and daughters, we, we have this calling now that we learn to walk in a calling that is greater than any of us ever imagined. I mean, that's at the heart of Christianity. We're born again into this new people. There was, if you, know, if you read the scriptures, you, you probably remember the accounts in the Gospels where, where Jesus comes up on the disciples and they're, they're sitting around and they're arguing about who's the greatest, Okay. They're arguing about who's the greatest. Now, these are like lower income people who have really no significance in the world's eyes. But here they are arguing about who's the greatest. And you wonder, where did that come from? Where did that arise from in their hearts? And I would propose there's something about being with Jesus Christ that stirs up greatness inside of us. Okay? There's something about being with him that stirs up this desire to be more than we really are at this moment. 
There's something about that. And notice how Jesus, he didn't rebuke them saying, oh, you're just being arrogant, this competition and so on. He did not rebuke them for, uh, about this desire for greatness, but he just redirected it. He just said, look, the path to greatness is humility and service. But we are new people. Um, salvation is all about identity and destiny, who we are now. And for those of you who have children, those of you who work in a kid's life, those of you who have kids, um, what you need to do, what we need to do is we need to ask God to give us his view and his eyes to see those kids, the children that are entrusted to us, that we see them through his eyes and we see them as the Father sees them because he will show us what they are according to identity and destiny. This is who this child is to the father. This is who he, where he wants them to be and the vision that the father has for them. And we capture that. It's like Gideon, if you know the, scripture, uh, the story about Gideon, as he is, uh, you know, he's from the, the most insignificant tribe and he's all beaten down and he's, he's discouraged and frustrated and he's disappointed in God and he's in this place. And the angel comes to him and says, Gideon, you mighty warrior. That's God speaking destiny and identity to him. And we can go to the Lord and say, God, these children I have in kids' life, these kids of mine that you've given me, I want to see them through your eyes so I don't assess them and treat them according to their current behavior, but I do it according to your vision for them, the identity you say about them, the destiny you have for them. And then you begin to treat them according to that. Uh, um, Two or three days ago, I was with a friend, and a pastor that they, they work with, was, um, this pastor and his wife, they have, they have an adult uh, child who turned his back on the Lord, uh, went off the deep end, deep into drugs and so on, but they just decided to just keep on praying for him according to the destiny and the things God spoke to him about that child when that, when that child was this little boy. And so... Uh, talked about how he'd be in a crack house. He'd get a text from his mom and the text would say, good evening, mighty man of God. You know, I just want to remind you the father's a great destiny for you. And just continually speaking that into his life until he eventually repented and returned back to the Lord and he's serving God now. See, we are called, I'm getting way far off on Ananias, I'm sorry. But we are called to find the gold in people. When you go into a gold mine, there's all sorts of dirt, there's all sorts of debris, there's all sorts of messiness and so on, but you're not looking for the dirt. You can always find the dirt. Dirt's easy to find. Debris and chaos is easy to find, but we're looking for the gold. We're looking for the treasure. And as we deal with people, whether it's our families or children or just other people in general, we want to be asking, Lord, let me see the gold in their life so I might minister to them and speak to them according to the gold that's there. We're on a treasure hunt in that way. And that's how Ananias was treating Paul, according to what God said. Ananias says, God, this man's trying to destroy your church. And God says, no, no, he's my chosen instrument. And so Ananias goes and treats him according to that vision that God gave him. That's another trait we want to follow in Ananias. Okay. So Ananias kind of disappears after this point. You know, God bring, pulls him up and he does this, this thing with, uh, with Paul. But he does appear, not himself, but he appears later in Acts 22. Okay, This is years, decades later. And Paul has been 
planning churches, on various mission trips and so on. And now he's arrested and he's being brought in before kings and, and, and uh, government officials and so on. And in Acts 22, we have this point where he is, um, where he is, he is before the government officials and he's, he's um, uh, giving his testimony. He's telling, here's my story. Here's why I'm doing what I'm doing, okay? And he says, I persecuted the followers of this way to their death, arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison as the high priest and all the council uh, can themselves testify. This is Acts 22. I even obtained letters from them to their associates in Damascus and went there to bring these people as prisoners to Jerusalem to be punished. So he's talking about how wild he was and trying to destroy the church. About noon as I came to Damascus, suddenly a bright light came from heaven, flashed around me. I fell to the ground and heard a voice say to me, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? I asked. I'm Jesus of Nazareth who you're persecuting. So he's just relating his testimony, st- uh, telling these people decades later what happened to him. Uh, and the you know, Lord says, go into Damascus and there you'll be told uh, uh, what has always been assigned to you. And so he's led in Damascus and he says this, A man named Ananias, my friend Ananias, came to see me. He was a devout observer of the law and highly respected by all the Jews living there. He stood beside me and said, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And that very moment, I was able to see him. And he told me, he spoke vision into me. The God of our ancestors has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear the words from his mouth. You will now be his witness to all people of what you've seen and heard. Now get up and be baptized, okay? So here, decades later, Ananias has a treasured place in Paul's story. Paul refers to him. This man came right at my point of need. Man, I needed that. And my friend came to me at that time. And that's all because Ananias was willing to step out and obey a prompting of the Lord, the word of the Lord, and to go, go, you know, Stir up the courage to go forward and, 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 and see Paul. Um, I got saved when I was a senior in high school, and I'm so thankful for my friend Steve. Uh, we were real close friends in high school, but he was a believer walking with Jesus. I wasn't. And he took the risk of introducing me to different uh, uh, opportunities to learn about Jesus Christ. And, and it's through his influence I became a believer. And uh, we're still in, t- in touch. He lives over in Indianapolis, but I mean, we're two or three times a week sending far side cartoons back and forth, all that kind of stuff. But um, uh, I regularly tell them, I don't know where it would be today if you hadn't had the guts to step out and risk our friendship and, and introduce me to, uh, to the gospel. You know, I, 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 this is a little imagination, but, but I, I think that uh, there's going to come a time the Bible talks about uh, when the kingdom comes and all things are restored and when the first things are going to happen after Jesus returns and, and the world is, uh, is under his lordship and under, you know, submitted to him, when the first thing that's going to happen is the marriage feasts of the Lamb. And as you read through the scriptures and so on, you, it, it just becomes clear this is like a huge celebration. It's like a coronation of Jesus uh, taking the throne as king. But it's, it's, it's like a big celebration. The Bible talks about parties when people get saved and so on. So it's not hard to, to think of this as being a huge feast of all the people of God gathered together and those incredible reunions. We've had some various different uh, uh, memorial services recently. And, and this is the moment we're going to be looking forward to when we're reunited with people and we're seeing them for the first time, uh, you know, and 
and, and just, oh my goodness, look at the glory on you. You're amazing, you know. All these wonderful things that are going to take place. And, and I just think that this feast is, you know, there's no, it's eternity, so it's not like the feast has to end at 9 o'clock. It just goes on, and we're, we're eternal people now. And, and I just think there's going to come this moment where, Things are going to shift. I'm imagining this. This is in the scripture. It should be, though. Uh, there's going to be this moment where, where the great stories will be told. You know, and Moses will come up and talk about the parting of the Red Sea. And, and we'll go, oh, that's awesome. And, and, you know, Daniel about the lions and so on. And then there's going to be this moment, I think, when, when Paul's going to come up. And he's going to tell his story. And he's going to recount how he hated the church and he hated Jesus but then he got knocked off his donkey and, and, and then was in that city and of Damascus and how, how much shame he felt and how broken he was and, and for all that he did and so on. And then he's going to say, but then my friend Ananias came. And I think he's going to call Ananias up to the podium and say, Ananias, come up here. And, and he's going to honor him before everybody, before the church of God. And he's going to say, Ananias, I'm so thankful that you had the guts to, to come and find me and pray with me. I'm so thankful you obeyed the living God. I'm so thankful. I don't know where I'd be today if you hadn't done that. And we're all going to cheer and yell and go, yay, Ananias, you are awesome. I want to have stories like that told about me. And I think you do too. You do too. You want to be a part of other people's stories. And Ananias shows us the way for that. Um, I didn't bring it up here with me, but, but a few months ago, a couple months ago, Harriet and I met a couple on the, on the, on the um, Rock Island Trail. We were just out walking, and, and uh, we started a conversation with them. And just through a, a bunch of crazy things, uh, we got reconnected with them in some ways. That, but um, uh, we started meeting with the, I started meeting with the husband. And, and going, he was going through a super crisis time and stuff, and they were kind of backslid, and they, he came back to the Lord and all this kind of stuff. And, and just being a part of, of, of helping him to do that. And, and um, last week we were meeting together and, and just praying, and, and he was just kind of sobbing. He's too broken up to really even talk. But he took the, the sleeve off his coffee cup. We're at Panera's, and he just writes on it, thank you so much for loving me. And, and so I'm going to treasure that. Because again, that's like, you know, let's make ourselves available so that God can use us in the lives of people like Ananias.